John chapter 18, verse, uh, pick it up verse 28. <clears throat> then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then Pilate, then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Then Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no fault in him at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a liar, excuse me, was a robber. I want to read over also in verse 12 and then verse 13 of the next chapter. From henceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whomever, whomsoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. And down in verse 15, they said, But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And now down in verse 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray Thee now that You would open up Your Word unto us, that we might appreciate that Jesus is King, and He was rejected by Israel. Nevertheless, He is the King of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the title of this morning's um, sermon is, Israel Rejects the King of the Jews. Israel Rejects the King of the Jews. Now, um, I want us to appreciate the scene that is set before us. This has been going on all night, all of this confusion. Recall that it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover is drawing nigh. It's actually Nisan the 14th, the day that they're supposed to kill the Passover lamb. Um, as we have talked about in the past, there are hundreds of thousands of people there that have come for the Feast of the uh, Unleavened Bread. That's one of the three feasts of the year where all the males are required to present themselves before the Lord. The place is packed with people. 
Pilate is under a great deal of pressure to keep the peace. And I have no doubt that he's nervous and concerned about what things are going on around him with respect to what the Sanhedrin, the ruling party of the Israelites, um, are doing. Um, you recall just a few days prior to this on Nisan the 10th, Jesus had come down the Mount of Olives and all of the people had cried out, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King. Um, that has transpired. The Jews have come to him um, several hours before this and desired from him a band of men. We read about a band of men coming to arrest Jesus in the garden in John chapter 18, um, verse 3. Jesus then having received a band of men. And we also read about that again over in, um, I think it's in verse 12. Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. So they've already come to, Pilate has got some inkling that something is going on here and that Jesus has been said to be king of the Jews. They've required from him a band of men, which we talked about before, 600 men. They are not going to get 600 Roman soldiers without Pilate's permission. So there's a lot of things going on in the background that are obviously of of concern to him that I want us to appreciate as we um, move into this section, because Pilate's I'm going to say it's caught between a rock and a hard space, and that is in a literal sense because Jesus is the rock. Um, However, he's not going to do the right thing. He's going to violate the Roman law and operate in a way that is contrary to what God, um, what he's going to have, what he should have done with respect to honoring honoring God and honoring the Roman law, which of course was ultimately established by the Lord. All principalities and powers are created by were created by the Lord. And so God has set up an organizational system by which Pilate and the Jews are going to uh, violate. So as we open here in our narrative, we have to appreciate that again, it says in verse 28, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas. So they've already had a mock trial in front of Caiaphas here, and now he's going to be brought to the um, hall of judgment. So again, we need to appreciate who it is. This is the king of glory. This is the individual who created all things, spoke everything into existence. Um, he, it is by him that all things consist. We read about that in Colossians chapter 1. By him, all things consist. Jesus is the one who holds every molecule in its, um, keeps it together, keeps the, uh, um, the nucleus uh, from blowing apart. He keeps the atoms in their orbit. He keeps everything together. He is the one who spoke two words in the garden when he said, I am, and everybody fell on their back. He's being led like a lamb to the slaughter. So we appreciate that he is peaceably going, allowing himself to be led. So he's being led from uh, Caiaphas into the judgment hall. All judgment has been commended into his hand by the Father. So he is the um, judge of all the earth, and yet he's going to be judged by these individuals, um, by these men whom are going to operate in violation and contrary to the laws that were given to them from Moses, which come from God from Mount Sinai. Um, The hypocrisy that is set before us is so glaring in this verse here, 28, that it's almost hard to even contemplate on it. It says, they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. 
that they might eat the Passover. They have to be clean if they're going to eat the Passover, and because they want to eat the Passover, they are going to stop before they go into the judgment hall. So think of this section here, and this is what the commentators say, but think of a building that has a courtyard in it. We know that Peter has, has um, already been let into the courtyard, so it's shut off from, let's say, the rest of the city of Jerusalem. There's a large number of people that are in there. Some are warming themselves in front of fires, and there's a, a, a building, part of that courtyard, and Jesus is brought up to an upper level that would over overlook them. And it's into the judgment hall on, on above that the people cannot go lest they would be defiled. That is where the Lord is going to be brought. And he's going to be separated from the people. And uh, Pilate is going to act, if you can use this language, as a mediator between Christ and the people. We know that there is but one mediator before um, God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. So it's ironical that a man would be mediating between God and the people who are going to judge um, the judge of all the earth. Uh, men, as you know, are totally depraved. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. They together are become unprofitable. And certainly we see that the people here together are unprofitable. So here he is. He's led into the judgment hall. And this, this hypocrisy that is so glaringly set before us was one that was spoken already by um, Christ in Matthew chapter 23 when he had quite a number of things to say about the um, scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, I'll pick it up in verse 25, he's um, declaring woe unto the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of ex um, extortion and excess, speaking of their hearts. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may also may be clean also. Verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. This is the Lord talking about the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. And yet here they are partaking on the blood of Christ himself, the, um, the epitome of the prophets, the prophet of God. Verse 31, wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them that killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. They will certainly fill up the measure of their fathers because they're going to kill the son, the king of glory. Now, in the next verse here, well, first here in, uh, in verse 32, he, he speaks of their fathers. Who is their father? Well, in John 8, 44, he says that. He says that ye are, are um, verse 44 of John chapter 8, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father will ye do. And that's indeed what they're doing here. Um, John the Baptist also referred to these people as um, vipers. That's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. And the reason I, I want to bring this out to us in Matthew 3, 7, he says, but when he saw uh, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So the Lord is referring to them as vipers. They are the son of their father, the devil, who was a serpent. John the Baptist has called them vipers. But why this is important is because through this process by which they are bringing the Lord before uh, judgment, it is through the cross that the Lord is going to destroy 
the work of the devil, who is the chief of the vipers, if I can use that language, he shall bruise his head. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see this uh, analogy of uh, the, the devil is a serpent, and in John 3.15, the Lord says that he's going to bruise his head. And as we read through the section here, he's talking about their hypocrisy. He's talking about they're um, going to be guilty of the blood of their fathers, and they're going to bring it to the full when they kill him. But he's describing them as a generation of vipers. And he, as he says in verse 33, serpents, generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? They cannot. He is going to bruise the head of the serpent, which is their father, and essentially destroying the entire Levitical priesthood and destroying these individuals as well. Caiaphas, as you'll recall, during his trial of the Jesus, rent his clothing which was symbolic of the priesthood being taken away from the Levitical priesthood and given to the priesthood of Christ. The Lord did that in the past, you'll recall, when Samuel rent the garment of Saul, taking his kingdom away from him. And you see the same thing when the Lord is taking the kingdom away from one of Solomon's, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and giving ten tribes to Jeroboam. So this is symbolic of the priesthood shifting from um, those that are the physical descendants of Levi to those who are the children of God. Verse 34 of uh, Matthew 23, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, speaking of himself, and some of them ye shall scourge, that's going to happen before the Romans, in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. It is coming upon that generation um, just a few days after the Lord had said that, because here they are in John chapter 18, they are bringing him uh, before Pilate to judge him. They want Pilate to pull the trigger of the gun they want to give him. They want to make Pilate the executioner. And so here in an example of utter hypocrisy, they would not go into the judgment hall lest they should be defiled outwardly because inwardly, clearly, they are defiled and, um, and great sinners. In verse 29, it says, Pilate then went out unto them and said, what accusation bring ye against this man? So, again, as I would mentioned, that they had already received a band of men from him, so he's uh, appreciative that there's a problem going on here and that perhaps this man has done something wrong. Um, and so he asked the question, what accusation bring ye against this man? Now, you recall when he was before Ananias, they had never uh, leveled the charge at Christ. Uh, they suborned uh, false witnesses which they could not find. And then eventually they did find two false witnesses. And what did the false witnesses say? They said, well, he said that he would destroy the temple and build it again in three days. That was a true statement. He was not talking about the physical temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. However, um, uh, important point here is that in Acts chapter 25, verse 16, we get an appreciation for what should take place. In Acts chapter 25, um, verse 15 or 16, the, um, Paul is being um, tried again. And, it's, and they say here, um, it is, not, is it not the matter of the Romans to deliver any man to die? It is not the matter of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, 
which he is accused, have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. In other words, a charge has to be brought and then an individual is charged with that crime and then people can accuse him and then they can defend themselves before the people that accuse him. We have the same things in our law uh, to this day, but Christ is not uh, charged with anything. And so uh, he's asking the question here, what accusations lay ye against the men? So he's getting off, he's starting off on the right foot here. Verse 30, they answered and said unto him, in their self-righteous indignant way, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Well, of course not. We're beyond reproach. As the Lord said, we're white-walled sepulchers, but yet nevertheless inside them are dead men's bones. And so um, they are saying that they would not have done this thing. Obviously, he's done something um, that is wrong. Um, however, um, that is not the case. The Lord has not done anything wrong. Um, I want to read something from Matthew 23, verse 28 here. Um, well, I don't need to read that. I've already talked about that. Verse 31, Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore saith unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. The Jews, without understanding and appreciating what they have said here, they've essentially said that which was written in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. There is a prophecy that referred to the... Um, Jews losing um, their ability to govern themselves and carry out capital punishment, and it would be that way when Christ came. This is in the case where uh, Jacob is blessing his sons, and Judah in particular. And in verse 10 of Genesis 49, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The scepter is a representative of political uh, authority and control. And we know that the Jews had lost it uh, various times throughout the course of their history, but he's not saying here that the scepter is going to pass from, from Israel to the Babylonians or Israel to the Greeks or Israel to the Romans. It's going to pass from Israel to Christ, and which is taking place here. It is passing from Israel to Christ. And so this is an admission to them that they don't have the authority to do that. They've lost that. They've lost the ability um, to uh, exercise capital punishment. And the Lord is going to straighten uh, Pilate out here with respect to who actually has that authority, because it doesn't rest with Pilate either. In John nineteen eleven, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with uh, Pilate, and he says in verse ten, "Then Pilate saith unto him, Speakest thou not unto me?" Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus is going to answer that question. You do not have that power. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Shiloh has come and the scepter has passed from Judah now to Christ himself. Um, this is uh, an admission, like I said, that they have lost that power. And so unbeknownst to them, obviously, they are fulfilling the prophecy that was spoken of them, declaring essentially that Christ has come, Shiloh has come. Shiloh is the individual that they have turned over to um, Pontius Pilate. Verse uh, 33, um, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. 
The fact that he's being handed over to the Romans, um, that they would kill him and not the Jews. Had the Jews killed him, he would have been stoned. You know that the prophecy said that not a bone of him should be broken. That's Isaiah 53. Psalm 22 talks about and speaks of the, um, the grievous um, suffering of somebody on the cross, um, what, they, what things they would suffer um, when they were uh, put to death through that form of uh, capital punishment. In John chapter um, 3, verse 14, the Lord, speaking of his death, um, specifically said that he would need be lifted up. Um, John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Then he later says, If I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto myself. And so the Lord was speaking, of course, of crucifixion. That was the methodology of capital punishment by which the Romans employed. They would lift a person up on the cross. And that was a form of punishment, of course, that was not known to the world uh, when the Lord wrote about it in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. So he's speaking about um, what death he should die. In verse 33, it says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and saith unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, you might ask yourself why he would ask this question, but as I mentioned to you before, when Jesus rode down the Mount of Olives, they declared him to be the king. However, we read about in uh, Luke chapter 23, when the Lord was handed over to uh, Pilate, they uh, brought this subject up. In Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 1 and 3, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, if you want to get anybody arrested, two things you can accuse them of is one, tax evasion, and two, sedition. And so they are bringing before him rather grievous charges. But what's interesting is that when uh, they themselves suborned false witnesses against Christ, here they themselves are bearing false witness against Christ. Christ never said or did any of the things that they are postulating here. Um, In Luke chapter 20, uh, verses 22 through 25, it's the occasion where they are trying to entrap Jesus and they ask the question, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God. He's clearly told them that they need to pay tribute unto Caesar. So the charge that they are bringing before Pilate is um, patently false. Um, In John chapter 6, verse 15, was the occasion when, after feeding the 5,000, the people thought, well, by golly, he'd make a great king because he would set up an entire welfare system by which people can be fed without actually having to go to work. Verse 15 of John chapter 6, we read, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So we can appreciate that the um, Jews, when they brought, have brought him before Pilate, have leveled false accusations against him. He said they should pay tribute, and he did not, uh, would not be taken by them and forced to be king. 
And he's going to tell us why as we get down further in our narrative here. So, in verse 34, back in John chapter 18, Jesus answered him and said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of thee? And again, we can appreciate that the Jews had introduced this idea, plus that's what they declared when he came down the Mount of Olives. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Now that's a $64,000 question. Is he a Jew? Well, what is a Jew? He's certainly not of the tribe of Judah. He's not an Israelite. However, what is a Jew? A Jew is one which is a Jew outwardly and not inwardly. Circumcision is of the heart and not of the flesh. The Lord teaches us that in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. So we should appreciate that one of the things that is being set before us here is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. We read that several times here. So who is he a king of? Is he your king and is he my king? Well, he is if we are Jews. He was declared to be um, king of the Jews a number of times. Um, we should appreciate in John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 1 where they give us the genealogy of Christ. He's declared to be the son of David, the son of Abraham, and we know that he is the son of God. In uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it is the Gentiles that have come to seek the king of the Jews. In verse uh, 1 of Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. These are Gentiles coming to see him, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the Gentiles are declaring him to be the king of the Jews. Pilate is asking, Am I a Jew? And Pilate is going to declare him also to be the king of the Jews. The king of glory is the king of the Jews. Um, So let us continue. Um, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the priests and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? What has Christ done? Well, I suppose the thing that uh, precipitated this and got things moving quickly was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But he didn't talk about that. Well, what has Jesus done? Well, he's going to tell us down in a couple of verses there. He came to bear witness of the truth, and that is what he has done. He came to bear witness of the truth. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get down there. Um, Jesus answered, my kingdom, he's answered his question, are you a king? My kingdom, he's got a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Oh, he does have a kingdom. He is a king. But it's in this world, but it is not of this world. Now that, you'll recall, is the language that the Lord used in John chapter 7 when he was praying for his disciples. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. His kingdom is not of the world, but it is in this world. We are ambassadors unto Christ, so we bear witness of his kingdom. We are in this world, and so in that context, the kingdom is in the world, but it's not of this world. It's otherworldly. It's from heaven. 
our conversation is heaven from whence we also look for our, our coming Savior. So he's, he's saying some rather um, important truths here that I, Pilate, um, not being a Jew, is not going to understand. Um, he says that my servants would fight. So he's using an, an anthropomorphical term that he ought to be understand, that a kingdom would have a king and the king would have servants who fight for him. Um, and when the Lord's in the garden, you recall that uh, one of the things he says to Peter is, know you not that I could uh, have 12 legions of angels and they would fight for me? Jesus doesn't need anybody to fight for him. He just proved that when he spoke and everybody fell flat on, on their back. So he doesn't need anybody um, to fight for him. Now think about what happened back in, in 1 Samuel when God had been walking with his people. Initially, it was a pure theocracy, and then it, it changed. Then he had Moses mediate between them, and then he set up the office of, of prophet, priest, and then now in 1 Samuel chapter one or chapter 8, he's going to set up the office of king. More and more layers are built between man and God because that's the way man wants it. So in verse uh, 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, he knows the people are asking for a king, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So they are rejecting God as their king. They want a king like all the other nations on the earth. Um, And they're going to help us to appreciate what that means. Over in verse um, 19... Um, Samuel has told them the problems associated with what they want here. And it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That is exactly what Jesus does. He judges the nation and he goes before them, and he fights our battles. And what battle does he fight? He fights the battle against Satan, against sin, and against death. And the scripture says that death is the last enemy to be overcome. Christ is going to overcome all of those. And you're going to see that play itself out here with respect to Barabbas. The Lord is going to the grave, so Barabbas does not have to go. Barabbas, of course, represents us. So with respect to the king that they want, that would go before them, Christ is that king, but they are rejecting him. They are rejecting the true king, the king of glory, the king who will go before them, who would go before them and fight their battles um, for them. Um, With respect to this battle and that we are engaged in it as his servants, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That is true of Christ as well. He's certainly not going to have his 12 legions of angels come down with their swords and, and, and fight the Romans or, or fight the Jews. Um, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Peter thought he was going to fight the war that way back in the garden when he um, struck um, Malchus in the head. And that also helps us to appreciate this relationship, this uh, reality that it is Christ who's going to fight, and he's going to fight by himself. It is Christ who will bruise the head of the serpent, not Peter when he struck him on his head. You're not going to bruise him. I'm going to bruise him. 
In Romans uh, chapter 16, it, it speaks about how we shall bruise Satan under our feet. Christ shall bruise him under our feet, rather. That's Romans 16, verse um, 20. It says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. It is God who does the bruising of Satan's head. It is not us. He works in us and through us as we go out as his gospel ministers. But it was at the cross that the death blow was given to uh, Satan who was cast out of, um, of heaven uh, at the cross. Um, so he says here, I should not be delivered unto the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. In other words, I've already answered it. I'm telling you plainly here. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. He has just laid a, um, a very important truth. It speaks of the Lord being born, and it speaks of the Lord coming. He was born of the seed of a woman and the seed of, um, of God, the Holy Ghost. So it, this speaks of the, the duality of who he is, fully man and fully God. Um, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus bore witness of God because he is the truth. And so he is the brightness of God's glory and the expressed image of his person. Everything he did was a manifestation of God's character and his nature. And so he truly did bear witness of uh, God. Um, Um, it was a verse that I wanted to read, and I've uh, got the wrong one down here. Oh, there it is. Um, in John eight forty seven, the Lord says, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So the Lord has said here, Everyone that is of the truth, Christ is the truth, heareth my voice. So the Jews don't hear his voice, because they're not of God. Pilate can't hear his voice, because he's not of God. Only the true Jews, the ones circumcised in the heart, can hear the voice of God and could hear um, the voice of Christ speaking because he is the truth. And in verse 38, Pilate says something here, again, very profound. Then Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? I suspect he said that in frustration as he got up to go and then speak to the Jews because they are telling him something that he knows is false, that he knows is not true. He knows, the scripture says, he knew that they... Um, um, Turn, them over, turn Christ over to him for envy here. So he's absolutely disgusted, but he asks the wrong question. He says, what is truth? He should have asked the question, who is the truth? The truth is a person, and the truth is speaking to him. He's standing in the presence of the truth, and he's hearing the truth from Christ. Not only is he hearing the truth from Christ, but he's acting out all of the things that the Lord said would be acted out, and he's demonstrating um, God's grace and mercy um, he's not demonstrating it. He will be a witness of God's grace and mercy when they release uh, Barabbas. So he knows the Jews are lying to him, and he's clearly frustrated about that very thing. Um, so he, he goes back out on the balcony, and he speaks to the Jews. He says, I find in him no fault at all. So why didn't Pilate release him? I find in him no fault at all. He should have let him go. Verse 39, But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? I have no idea where that custom came from, 
but it's an example of God's uh, of the gospel. Uh, you recall the Passover was to commemorate what took place in Israel when a lamb was to be slain and the blood of which was to be put on the doorpost and lintel of the house. If the angel uh, of the Lord, when he saw that, the angel of death would pass over the house and the people in the house would be spared. It's a picture of the gospel that we would have the blood of Christ on our heart. And so for them to release one uh, at the Passover should be an appreciation that it's an indicative that they would have an appreciation for the mercy of God and the, and the blood of a lamb and what that means. Um, so here they have an opportunity to re- release either a prisoner, um, so they, it's either going to be Barabbas or Jesus. Again, he declares him in verse 39 to be the king of the Jews. And the fact that only one person is released is indicative of God's electing grace, limited atonement. It doesn't say that we're going to open all the prison gates and everybody who's in there is going to go free. Only one. Now, verse 40, Then cried they again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas represents all of us. We would steal God's glory. Um, He's guilty also of sedition, and he's also guilty of murder. But the fact that they tell us only here that he was a robber, it's it's the same word as thief, should help us to appreciate something. Barabbas, we know, he's in prison, and I would expect that he is sitting there with great anxiety and trepidation, expecting the Romans to come to his prison cell and to take him out and drag him um, out to be crucified. When Christ was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. Same word here. There should have been three thieves on Mount Golgotha when Christ was crucified. So it's such an obvious example of substitution that we should appreciate that that is the gospel there, that one thief did not go to the cross, and Christ went in his stead, representing uh, what we are um, to all man. So we see substitution being played out before us here. In Exodus uh, chapter 13, verse 13, it speaks about this substitutionary um, principle with respect to um, an unclean animal being redeemed by a clean um, animal. In verse 13 of Exodus chapter 13, it says, And every firstling of an ass, which is be an unclean animal, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. So clearly Barabbas, as um, this ass here, typifies Barabbas, who typifies us, and that, that uh, he was redeemed by a lamb. Christ, we know, is the lamb of God. So we see this wonderful substitution here, but we also see that in a very formal sense, Israel is rejecting her king. Pilate has uh, identified him as their king, as the king of the Jews. He's been identified as the king of the Jews by the Gentiles, the wise men, which first came in, uh, in Matthew chapter 2. Um, he is the king of the Jews, uh, which we acknowledge as this kingdom, which is not of this world but as yet in this world. It is all those who believe um, on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a kingdom that a person can be born into by virtue of the flesh, but rather must be born again into by virtue of the Holy Spirit um, indwelling them and working upon their hearts. In John chapter 1, he says in verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Jews have not received him, and they have rejected him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Some did receive him, um, even to them that believe on his name. In verse 13, he says, which were born 
not of blood. It's not by virtue of the fact that you're related to Abraham. There's no blood relationship as far as receiving God as your Savior, receiving the Lord as your Savior, they were, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. There's nothing in your flesh that would desire this. Nor of the will of man. It didn't come from your own will or nor did the will of another man, but of God. So men are born, born again, by the will of God, not the will of men. There's no fleshy advantage to being a, a, um, related to uh, Jacob, being one of the sons of Israel. So this morning I would have us appreciate that God is our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ is our King of glory, um, whom we have accepted by virtue of God's grace, imputing the faith necessary to believe on Him and to trust in Him for all things. Amen. Amen.